I want to share with you today, really, and it's really based off of, is the Bible talks about a covenant that we have with God. And we don't use this language much in our culture today, but a marriage is a covenant relationship. And how many of you would say that your relationship with your husband or your wife is different than your coworker? Why? Because it's a covenant relationship. I mean, it's different. I mean, there's, there's a depth, there's a meaning, there's a connection that's very different. And the Bible talks about that we have a covenant. Well, with covenant also comes rights and privileges. There are things that happen, you know, within a covenant, like in our state, if I go buy anything by default, you know who else owns it? My wife. Why? Because we're in a covenant relationship. Nothing that I own doesn't belong to her. Right? She's a 50% owner. It doesn't matter if she wanted it or not. If I go buy a big old fat TV, guess what? She owns half of it. And she can say, why did we buy that? Why did we need that? But... Why? Because it's a covenant relationship. It's significant. But there are also privileges that come with that. There are things that happen, and we are in a relationship with God. And so, you know, I I know that, I mean, unless you've been under a big old rock this week, and a really big rock, you know, you, you know that our world has shifted in the last seven days. Since we were last together in this room, a lot has transpired. You know, and a lot has, has gone on. And so our world has really been turned upside down in many ways. And, you know, in some senses, it's come to a screeching halt. I went in a store yesterday, and, and I it was actually returning something. And they smiled when I walked in. And I was like, y'all pretty busy today, huh? And this was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They said, you're the second person to come in today. You know, and then I went to another store, and it's pretty empty. And I was like, man, y'all are, nobody's really out today, are they? And they're like, nope. It's pretty thin, you know, and I mean, there's whole countries that are on lockdown right now. I know somebody who actually, they're a missionary in Wuhan, China. Now, some of you know why that's significant and some of you don't. That is where they are saying was the genesis of this thing. It's a city of 12 million people. I know somebody who's been on lockdown, like literally lockdown in their apartment for almost 30 days. Like it was... You could go to the store, but you stood in line. They only let so many people in, so forth, so on. You know, when one person left, one person came in. Well, they've been in lockdown, like can't leave your house for almost 30 days now. You know, I don't know how much of the news you've looked at, but Italy, lockdown. I mean, you know, so we're kind of self-imposed in a lot of things. But it's moments like this that if we're wise, we evaluate. Now, there's a lot of good things because guess what? You could get some more extra family time out of this. And I would encourage you, take this time and, and utilize it. Don't waste it. Don't just get on Netflix and binge for the next 30 days and not make the 30 days that we have, you know, because a lot of things are shutting down. I know some of you may not be happy that schools have closed down, uh, you know, because you're thinking, what am I going to do with my kids for 30 days? <laughs> that stresses you out. Ask God for some wisdom. Ask God for some creative ideas. And I know that that affects all of us in different ways. I mean, some of you have jobs. You're thinking, my kids are home and I've got to work. And what am I going to do? And you're stressing just because of the fallout. It has nothing to do with the, necessarily the virus. It's just the fallout that comes from it. This is not the time to just get stressed out. Let me just help you. Stress doesn't help anything. It actually makes it worse. It makes everything worse. And so, you know, but the Bible talks much about these things. And so, but it is important. And let me just give you a thought. You've heard this before. But when life hits, it's important that we respond to things, but not by reacting to them. 
There's a difference. We react means it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Like we just, you know, like somebody says something and you respond, you react, let me say that, you react in a certain way and you're like, why did I say that? It's because you didn't think about your response before you spoke. Especially those of you like me that have the gift of sarcasm and get you in trouble sometimes. Why? Because you just throw it out, you react to something and it's like, man, if I would have taken two seconds, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said it a different way. And it's important that when life comes and life happens that we respond properly. You know, and the Bible talks about this and it gives us, and it's important that we understand this as believers especially. Is that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 7 and verse 8. A lot of people can quote verse 7. And it's, for God is never... uh, God will never give you a spirit of fear. This is out of the Passion Translation. But the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power and love and self-control. Now you may say, well, I can't handle my reactions. You ever had one of those moments where it's like, you know, sometimes I've been in moments where I didn't say anything, but I didn't have to because my face did. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe the tone in which I responded. It's like I said the right thing. I just didn't say it the right way. Well, here it says that what? The Holy Spirit living on the inside of me can actually give me self-control. It can actually what? Give me control over my words. It can give me control over my thoughts. It can give me uh, control over even my fear, my emotions. Is it why? Because number one is that I'm motivated with what? The power of God, by the love of God. It gives me self-control. And it goes on in verse eight and it says, so we should never be ashamed of our testimony of our Lord, nor be embarrassed over my imprisonment. Paul was in prison at the time. So he said, hey, don't be embarrassed that I'm in prison. He says, but overcome every evil by the revelation of the power of God. Now, one of the things that we could say here is to overcome every it says evil here, but you could also say every disease. Why? Because disease is evil. By what? By the revelation of the power of God. Overcome anxiety by what? The revelation that God is still on the throne. That this has not changed God's agenda at all. And just as we were just praying a few moments ago, is that I believe that even in this moment, God will cause people's hearts to turn towards him. Because they don't have answers and they're looking for answers and, and there's things that, that happen. And, you know, there's a, an old quote that came to mind this week and, and I believe that it bears weight to communicate today. And it says that the same sun that melts wax will also harden clay. In other words, the same sun like the, in the, we have in the universe, S-U-N, not Jesus, the son of God. But the physical sun will melt wax. It will tan our pasty white bodies. That's coming, hallelujah. But it also will what? It will harden the ground too. Now, did the sun change? No. What the sun does though is that it reveals the nature of the materials. See, all of us are in the same moment right now. We're all seeing the same headlines. We're all experiencing the same things. We're all hearing the same things. We're all being inundated by a lot of negative things right now. But how it affects us should be different. And I'm going to show you this through scripture here in a few moments. But what happens though is when, when trials come, when things happen in the world, what happens to us doesn't have to be what happens to everybody else. You know, I went to the grocery store the other day when the governor made his proclamation. I thought, we don't keep, we, I mean, we, we don't stockpile food. Uh, you know, 
Uh, we just don't. And, but I had the thought, I'm like, I have young kids. I need to go get some food, right? And so at the time, Dara wasn't feeling great. And so I went in the room and I'm like, hey, I need you to come in the kitchen. We need to discuss and make sure we got some food for a little bit, so forth, so on. And so she comes in the kitchen and we're talking. And so I go to the store. I, you know, I went to the grocery store. And it was like pandemonium because my thought was, if I go before school gets out, I'm going to miss like maybe some of the rush. And, uh, you know, that was my hope. It was foolish, but it was my hope anyways. And uh, it seemed good. Well, actually, my thought was now's better than later. That was actually my thought. And so I go to the store and it was interesting. I'm a people watcher. I walk around and I'm looking, got my little list, you know, and I'm walking around the store getting stuff. And, and you know, but I, I'm watching people. And it's interesting. Some people would look at me and we would just kind of smile and chuckle a little bit. Like, isn't this crazy? And then some people were like, I will mow you down to get to that can of green beans. I mean, they were freaked out. I mean, I've, heard, I've actually heard this multiple times in the last few days. This is worse than a hurricane. You know, and I'm like, I mean, and people are just on edge. Why? Because, well, the economy's all over the place, and this is happening, and that's happening, and there's this virus, and there's this, and there's that. And Newsflash, there's nothing new. This, this isn't actually new. We, it's just on a grand scale. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use wisdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. But what happens in moments, and it's not just about this moment. Because I don't believe that we're going to just see this as a blip on our radar and then it's going to change. I think we're going to start seeing more and more and more stuff like this. So we as believers need to be prepared for what will come. Why? Because I believe the Bible. And Jesus said in the last days, you're going to see some crazy stuff. If I would have told you last week, hey, school's canceled for a month. Y'all would have said false prophet. <laughs> you are prophet lying right now. And, uh, you know, you would said, no stinking way. And yet in seven days, now it's a reality. And I'm not here to preach doom and gloom, quite the opposite. But we have to, what, prepare our heart so that we know how to respond properly in these moments. Because if it's not something like a pandemic on a global scale, something in your life, you can get sideswiped by life and it can rock you. And so it may not be on a global scale, but your life could be falling apart and everybody else even know about it. Well, what do you do in that moment? So this is really no different than that. And and so what happens, though, is in these moments, who we really are gets revealed. Because a lot of times we can put the front on, we can hold up the facade, we can look good. But man, when something hits us and it rocks us, it reveals who we are. Let me say it this way. It reveals where we really are. Because we can come to church and sing hallelujah. And man, we're full of faith and power until it's like, ah! You know what I'm saying? Like panic hits. And look, and so there's really two ways that we can respond to these moments. And again, I'm not just talking about this for this moment that we're experiencing on a global scale. I mean, in any moment of our life that we get rocked, that that moment comes. I mean, I remember one time Darren and I were in a car accident, right? I'm minding my own business. I'm in a two-lane highway, like a road, actually. It wasn't even a highway. This was in the city. 
and we're driving and I'm coming up behind a car and, you know, and I see this guy and all of a sudden he decides to U-turn from the right lane in front of me, right? And so I'm like, you know, I'm trying to do my James Bond impression. And so I swerve out the way and I punch the gas, right? Because I'm thinking I'm going to get around this guy. Because I was pretty, I mean, I was, we were pretty close at that point, but like right, it was just kind of a split second thing. So I jerked the wheel, tried to get around. Well, he caught the back end of our car and spun us. Like my truck just was like, woo, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many times we spun around, but it was, you know, thankfully, I mean, he hit the back end and all this stuff. But man, that was in that moment. It's like, what, which way is, uh, and I, when the truck came to stop, I was facing the other direction. So now I'm looking at oncoming traffic, you know, thankfully they were a ways away from me. And, uh, you know, but, but in those moments, man, it's like, what direction is, where am I? Like what just happened? I mean, cause it's just a split second. You know, there's a, a famous quote from a boxer that says, it's not the punches you see coming that gets you. It's what the one you don't see. That's the knockout punch most of the time. Why? Because you're not braced for it. And life happens. And sometimes it's that punch that we never saw coming that really, it's that sucker punch. It's like, boom, and it totally throws us. So there's two ways, and, and our resp- many times our reaction is not great in those moments. Now, I'll just be honest. In that moment, I was proud of myself because I kept my words where they needed to be and my thoughts where they needed to be. I wasn't like, man, I'm glad no church people are in this truck with me. You know, thankfully that wasn't the case. But what happens is that there's really two things. We can either look at those moments where our heart gets revealed and we can either become discouraged by it. We can say, man, I thought I was stronger than that. Look, we all have moments. You know, a number of years ago, I've shared this before publicly, but Max fell off of a countertop and hit his head and they were gonna lifelight him. You know, they were flying him 150 miles away. And I remember on that drive, Man, I'm praying, I'm crying, I'm praying in the spirit, I'm asking, you know, and I've got worship music playing and I got frustrated with myself over my worship music because I'm like, this music is not sufficient for this moment. And it was really, honestly, it was something that revealed something to me, which was that my worship actually revolved about around what God did for me as opposed to who God is. And so it changed even the worship music that I worship to. Because I'm not trying to get God to do something for me. And in that moment, trust me, I was in freak out mode. Why? Because my child, they're telling me, has a brain bleed. And they're saying, hey, you don't want him at this hospital. And it's in those types of moments that, that it, it, man, it, but you can get discouraged by those moments too. Because you can say, man, I thought I was doing better. I thought I'd grown more than that. I thought I had a handle on this. And, and you can get discouraged by those moments. Or you can get motivated by them. Like, okay, I know I'm not where I thought I was, so now I need to grow. Now I need to develop. Now now I know an area that I need to grow my faith in that I don't need to just sit back, but I need to grow. Now we should never be condemned. The Bible talks about this. Condemnation does not come from the Lord. Conviction does, but not condemnation. Well, how do you know the difference? Guilt. Guilt, that's the difference. Conviction, what, it motivates us to change, but when conviction comes, the Holy Spirit will tell us, hey, I'm gonna help you with this. When condemnation comes, it means, hey, you're stuck. This is just who you are. That's the devil. That's the way it works. But we can use it to what? To, to really take and, and to motivate us to develop and to grow into who God wants us to be. And so, you know, we say it here all the time is that we encourage you to take your what? Your next step. What's your, next, what's your most important spiritual step? 
your next one. Every one of us have a next step. Every one of us have a moment where we can stretch. And even as some of us this week have probably been rattled a little bit by the news, that might be an area that you need to solidify your faith, that you need to strengthen your, your trust in the Lord. Now, there are natural steps, and we are natural people. We live in a natural world. You know, I think we should. Hey, wash your hands, take vitamin C, limit exposure, all these types of, sure, that's it. We can do those things. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we, there are also supernatural steps that we can pray. You take a vitamin C in the morning, go read you some Psalms 91 in the morning. I mean, you know, I mean, you can feed your flesh, but feed your spirit too. I think that no evil will come upon me. No plague will come into my house. It's going to die at my doorstep. You say, well, I don't know if that'll work. I'm a, I, over me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to watch God work. We're going to see God move. And so I'm going to declare over my house. Why? Because the Bible said it's a promise to me. It's a conditional promise, which we're going to look at here. And like, what do you mean a conditional promise? There are lots of scriptures give us promises, but they are conditional. Not because we have to earn them, but it's just because we have to do certain things. God says, hey, there's an order to this. So we have to what? So we, we can apply our faith to circumstances and situations. So we don't want to get caught sleeping at the wheel. I mean, if you know what I mean by that. We can just kick it into cruise control. I mean, I thought by now we would be able to just get in a car, punch in an address, lay back, go to sleep, and wake up there. Like, you know, I thought by 2020 we'd be there. But we're not. Somebody needs to hurry up on that. But, you know, because my thought is, is I'll punch in the address to the mountain. I'll just sleep the whole way to the mountain, get out, snow ski, get back in the car, take me home. Like, it'd be great. You know, unfortunately, I'm not there yet. But, so as I've said, look, I, I, and, and it's, again, this is not doom and gloom. I, I don't, that's not my, my intention at all. But I do believe from Scripture, the Bible talks about it. We're going to hear what wars and rumors of wars. We're going to hear of country against country. We're going to hear about pestilence and disease and all these things. Are going to, and the Bible says it what? It's the earth actually under the weight of sin. And the earth is what? Groaning for what? The coming of the Lord. Now, does that mean Jesus come back next week? I don't think so. My opinion, I don't think so. You're like, why do you say that? Because the Bible says it will not come upon us as a thief in the night. We may not know what day Jesus is coming, but we're going to, God's up to something. Something's going on. I do believe that. I'm not saying that we'll say, oh, Jesus, come back tomorrow. I don't think we'll know that. But I do believe that we'll, let me say it this way. The coach always lets the players know before a big play happens. Now, again, I'm not saying that we'll know, but I do believe that we're going to know. Something's up. Something's different. And so it's important that we know this. But, you know, and again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person. Although some of the things lately make you kind of wonder sometimes. But that's not my default. I'm not a prepper. You know, I don't have like a year's worth of food stashed away in the ground somewhere. You know, I'm not rationing water and toilet paper. You know, we were kind of making some jokes earlier this morning that we should have thrown out toilet paper today as an act of generosity. Like, hey, hallelujah, have some toilet paper, you know, be blessed. And, you know, I mean, you know, so I'm not saying it from that standpoint, but pick your eyes up and what? Look around. 
The signs are around us. Is Jesus coming back in five years, 50 years, 100 years? I have no clue. But I just want to make sure that I'm living today in wisdom and, and in light of the word of God. Why? Because that's going to give us peace. And it's important that we know these things. And so, you know, so it's not a time to be overwhelmed. It's not a time to get frustrated. It's just a time to make sure, man, that our heart is, is really trusting the Lord. See, the thing is that our faith, many times we talk about faith and, and we think of it in the positive, and that's, and that's right and that's good, but do you realize that the same faith that gets you to the mountaintop is the same one that will walk you through the valleys too? It's not a different kind of faith. The same faith that God will use to prosper you is the same faith that God will use to what? To heal you, to deliver you, to work in your life. It's not a different kind of faith. Now, we can add understanding to our faith. We may know more scriptures about healing, about prosperity, whatever it may be. And yes, that will stir your faith. But it's the same faith that gets you to that kind of that mountaintop experience. Like, oh my gosh, God's amazing, even in the middle of the valleys, you know, Psalms 23 verse 4 says that even when, we, when, our, when your path leads me through, and that's important, leads me through. He doesn't leave us in the valley, but there have been times in my life where the Lord has walked me through what I perceived to be a low place, a hard place, a, a place I didn't want to celebrate kind of place. But he walked me through it. It says through the valley of the deepest of, of darkness. And he says, fear will never conquer me. Man, that's powerful. In other words, he said, I don't care what I walk through. I will never allow fear to overcome me. And he says, and this, but, he, but he also gives us here of how. He says, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. It's a beautiful picture. I can't be overcome with something if I've allowed the Lord to already overcome my life, my heart, completely. In other words, there's no more room in the end for fear. No, I've got peace. And it passes all understanding. And it guards my mind, which is my thoughts. It guards my heart. It, it, it's watching over me. And that's why. Why? Because I have made the decisions and I have allowed the Lord to work in my life. And it doesn't mean that that's a one-time decision. That's a daily, moment-by-moment decision. Do I choose fear or do I choose the peace of God and to act in faith in the face of fear? Faith will never completely do away with fear. Why? Because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean that we have to become discouraged. Now in Psalms 91, I'm going to read several passages of Scripture here. But it's a powerful passage, and if you've never, I would encourage you to commit this passage of Scripture to memory. You're like, how do I do that? Just one verse at a time. But commit it to memory because why? when things hit, you want to have something to respond with. And, and so here it goes on in, in verse 1, picking up. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then this is so powerful. He says, this I declare. This I say. This is who God is in my life. Uh, so he says, this I declare about the Lord. And so my question for you is this, is who are you declaring the Lord to be in your life? Because what you say really matters. It doesn't change who God is, but it does change your perception of who he is and what he can do. For me, my declaration about the Lord is that he is my healer. He is my, deliv my deliverer. He is the stopper of the plague in my life. 
I mean, that happened in the Old Testament. He stopped a plague that was just killing mass amounts of people. But somebody went and just put a stake in the ground and said, nope, it's going to stop. And the Bible says the plague stopped. It goes on, it says that God alone is my refuge. He is my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him for he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every, or protect me from deadly disease. He will protect me. He will cover me with his feathers. He will shelter me in his wings. His faithful promises are my armor and my protection. I it says, do not be afraid of the terrors by night, nor the arrows that fly by day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disease that strikes at midday. Though a thousand may fall at my side, and then ten thousand are dying all around me, these evils will not touch me. There's a, an amazing man of God in history named John G. Lake. He was known for healing. And he was a missionary to specifically South Africa, or southern part of Africa, and at one time, there was a virus that was killing people. It was, some, it was pretty similar to what we would call Ebola today. And he, he, now I'm not saying telling you to do this. I'm just telling you what happened. He said, I want you to put that virus in my hand and watch it on a microscope. And they watched it die. Now, he was known for miracles and signs and wonders. And, and I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm just telling you what happened. Why? Because no plague is going to come near me. Does that mean you never get sick? No, I get sick. But I'm going to stand and believe God's word. I'm going to confess God's word over my life. I'm not going to be moved off of my faith. I'm going to set my my focus. And I'm going to see God work. It goes on, it says, just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. And it's, then it goes, it says, if, now this was that conditional promise I was talking about earlier. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge, which means you don't have to. But if you want all this, if you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go, and they will hold, or they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot against a stone. See, we need faith, not because we don't have fear. Faith doesn't mean that we have no fear. No, our faith overcomes fear. It overwhelms fear. And I don't know if you notice this, but most of the time, not just in the last week, but pretty much every week, the sky is falling on the news. Something. I mean, if there ain't something, they're going to make it up. Why? Because chaos sells. They're not there as a public service. They're there as a business, and they're trying to make money. So even if there isn't chaos, they need to create it. Now, I'm not anti-media. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we need to use wisdom and understand we're not always told everything. We're not always told the whole story in things. But our faith can overcome those fears. Isaiah 26, verse 3 out of the Amplified says that you will keep in perfect and constant peace those whose mind is steadfast upon you. It says that is being committed or focused on you, both in inclination and in character, because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and with a confident expectation. That word confident expectation is another way of saying faith. I have an, a, here's, let me, real simple. Here's fear. 
Definition. I'm confident something bad's going to happen. Faith says I'm confident something good is going to happen. That's the difference. Well, how do, what, what makes the difference? We do. How do we respond? And in the midst of these moments where life can hit and things can happen, man, it, it can change us. And so, you know, and the thing that we have to know is that God reveals himself throughout Scripture. His character, his nature. And what happens is revealed even throughout all of Scripture. So you can go back into the Old Testament and say, well, how did God work? And how did God initiate things? How did God do things? In Psalms 103, verse 3, the Bible tells us, it says that he, being God, forgives our sins, every one of them, and he heals our diseases, every one of them. You're like, well, well, but I knew somebody who got sick and they, they died. Were they a believer? I'm not making light of that. Because the worst thing that can happen for a Christian is they go to heaven. That's the worst thing that could happen. Because the end of our story doesn't just end for any of us, doesn't end here. But the Bible tells us here that that God works. Now, I want to remind you of some things. We're not going to read it for the sake of, of time, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase some things here. But how many of you remember about the 10 plagues in Egypt? There were plagues that came upon the whole land. Israel were, were enslaved to the nation of, of, of Egypt, and yet Moses, God had sent Moses, says, you go talk to Pharaoh and you tell him, you know, let my people go. And, you know, you've probably seen the movies and, you know, seen the whole thing and the whole scene. But I wanted to point something out during this. There were, and and, and I, I'm of the opinion that this was probably true in every one of the plagues, but only a few of them, but there are several who highlight this. And so, number one, there was a plague on livestock. God said, hey, if you don't let the, people, the children of Israel leave, there's going to be a plague that's going to come. It's going to strike the livestock of the country. And it says in verse 6 of Exodus 9, it says, The Lord did just as he had said, and the next morning all the livestock of the Egyptians had died, but the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. God is making a distinction between his people and the world. Israel is a type of, and it really they were the people of God, but it, for us today, it's a type of the church. And the nation of Egypt here is a type of the world. And what you could really say is that they're a type of God's system and the world's system. It's not so much about people per se as much as the systems in which we, we live under and the rules by which govern our life. The same chapter there in verse 25 and 26, there was a plague of hell that covered, and not H-E-L-L, H-A-I-L, that covered. And in verse 25, 26, it says that it left all of Egypt in ruins. The hell struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hell was the region of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. Again, God separates. It says, hey, there's a difference. There was a plague of darkness in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. It said that deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. It says during that time, people could not even see each other and no one moved. Now, here's the interesting part. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. They're in darkness, can't see their hand in their face. And down the road, just lit up. See, I believe in moments like this that God intends the church to shine. 
He, he, he believes, and, and I believe that's his intention, not saying that God causes things, but hey, in moments of crisis, as believers, we ought to rise up, and we ought to be different, and we ought to act different, and we ought to talk different, and we ought to believe different. Why? Because we are people of faith. We are not people of fear. We've not been given a spirit of fear. God has given us what? His spirit on the inside of us, and he is on the throne. He is in charge. And just as he did here throughout the plagues, now I believe there were plagues of frogs and of gnats and all kinds of stuff. I just, I mean, I choose to believe that none of that actually went to where the children of Israel were. The Bible doesn't specifically say it, but hey, there's three examples right there of where we see, hey, what the Egyptians experienced and what the Israelites experienced, two different experiences. Well, I believe the same thing is true for us today. Plagues may come, but they're not coming to me. Disease may come, but they're not coming to my house. Why? Because I operate under a different system. That that may come on the world, but I I no longer live in darkness. How many of you, the Bible talks about what? That we've been translated into light out of darkness. We've been taken out of a world system and brought into God's system. Therefore, I'm not just reserved to whatever happens, happens. No, it doesn't. I have faith and my faith can move mountains. Your faith can move mountains. Don't diminish what God has placed on the inside of you. I mean, Mark 11 talks about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, it's the smallest known seed on the planet. It says if you have that much faith, you can move a mountain. It doesn't take crazy, great, big faith. It just takes pure faith. God, I trust you. I trust that you're working. Like, what if I get sick? Believe God to not be sick. It's no different than than blessing. Like, well, I'm not blessed. How about you start believing God to be blessed? Why? Because we have a covenant. We have covenant rights. We have covenant privileges. You know, we we use the word many times in church, holy. And we think of it like holy is perfect. No, the word holy actually means set apart. God has what? He calls us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Why? Because he has set us apart so that we could be different, so that we could be light to those around us, that we could be peace to those who are fearful. That's who we're called to be. See, we are in this world. I'm not one to say, hey, we need to move out into the country and just have a, you know, just go create a life united community and nobody else can come in. We'll be fine. That's weird. (laughs) That's really weird. We are in this world, but we operate outside of this world system. That doesn't mean that I don't pay my bills. I just paid them yesterday. Praise the Lord. Well, the Lord's just going to pay my bills. You're going to be broken homeless is what's going to happen. But, but even in that, I mean, you shouldn't look at your job as your source. What if I lose my job? God's bigger than your job. What if I don't get a paycheck? I hope you've sowed some seeds. Why? Because God is my source. He's my supply. Not my abilities, not my paycheck, not my job. I mean... What if you lost your job because God's like, you know what? I know you ain't never going to leave this thing because you're too comfortable. So I'm going to have to help you step up to a new place. But the only way is I got to get you out of here. 
And what we sometimes can look at and be like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. God's saying, if you only knew what I had in store, you would be excited about this. Because I have promotion in mind for you. But yet we can get so caught up in the moments. And even sometimes we face trials. We face things that are hard. And in the moment, it's like, God, why have you forsaken me? And God's saying, I'm building your faith. And you need this resistance right now in this moment because I have something better. But your faith will fold if you're not prepared for it. David didn't just show up and fight Goliath. He had the lion and the bear and and God had what prepared him where nobody saw it so that he was ready for the moment when everybody did. A lot of times we we don't want to talk about the process that God uses to help us grow. And sometimes... We have to be in a little bit of pain and discomfort before we get motivated. I know we don't like to talk about that. But sometimes God loves us too much to just leave us where we're at. But we can get in those moments where we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm right in the middle of this. If you'll just trust me. If you'll just trust me and walk with me. In Exodus 12, we see... This is a continuation. It's really the kind of the, the, the conclusion of this moment where the nation of Israel is trying to, to get out of, 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 of Egypt. And so and, and we don't have time to, to read it all, but the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And God had given a very clear instruction through Moses to Pharaoh. And he says, if you don't let the children of Israel go, the firstborn of every family, the firstborn of your livestock, the firstborn of, of anything that comes from a womb will die tonight like we're not talking about like hey sometime in the distant future gotten up like if you don't do this right now death is coming to egypt tonight and the bible says that that pharaoh's heart was hardened now i know some people think because the bible and i don't have time to get into all the details of it but the bible sometimes you read it and it says that the lord hardened pharaoh's heart the truth is is no it's just like the sun no his heart was revealed by the circumstance God didn't have to harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was already that way. It just brought it out to view. And so what happened, though, is that that night, God had given the children of Israel instructions. And he said, hey, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to take, and you have to consume the whole body. Now, there was all these instructions. I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but... He said, I want you to take the the body, you got to cook it, all this stuff. Take the blood and I want you to wipe it on the doorpost and on, covered by the blood. And when death comes by, literally the Bible says it was an angel of death came and it would come and look at the door and he would pass over that house. That's why we celebrate Passover. We don't really call it Passover, we call it communion. Because communion is actually what? It's a testimony that God would pass over our sin. Now, just as, and so what happened is the firstborn of the kind of the end of the story is that day Pharaoh said, get out, go. Now, even that, we all probably know most of the story. He let them go and then he chased them into the wilderness and him and his men were consumed in the Red Sea. God did some amazing things. If you've never read Exodus, go read it. It's got some pretty interesting stories in there about what God did. But, but what I want you to hear, and you're like, well, why are you sharing this? Because, you know, just as it was that night, for the children of Israel is that the blood made the difference, right? The blood was placed upon the vertical and the horizontal sides of the door frames. And when death came, 
when plague came, when chaos came, the blood made a barrier, right? It was the difference of death or life. It was the dividing line. Well, I have good news is that blood was shed for us on a vertical post and a horizontal post too. We call it the cross. And it was the blood that was shed for us that what? Allows us to be free of sin. It was that body that was broken for us that what? Speaks of our healing, speaks of God working in our life. God didn't just tell us that he loved us. He displayed it by Jesus dying the death on the cross. And his blood is the dividing line between death and life for us. Spiritually, yes, but also naturally. Spiritually, Jesus laid down his life so that what we could come alive unto God, that we once were born into death. Now, I know we were physically alive, but we were born spiritually dead. So when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life, the Bible says that God takes out a hard heart, puts in a, a new heart within us. What? And we become spiritually alive unto God. Let me say it this way. We, we, we become spiritually responsive to God. We have the ability to connect with him. And the same is true is that we were born physically the moment. We, we just dedicated some babies. It's going to be a morbid thought, but their bodies are already decaying. Now, I know they're growing They've already lost skin. Our bodies are constantly reproducing. But Jesus hung on the cross so that what? So that we could be made well. So that we could be made whole. And that blood still speaks. And that blood still works. And you're like, well, well, what do I do? You place your faith in the blood of Christ that it's enough. I mean, the book of Hebrews talks about it. It's in the Old Testament. I mean, they had sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And every year, it just reminded them of what happened. And it said, but Christ came to do what that blood of bulls and goats could never do, which was to pay the price once and for all. This is why we receive communion. See, the truth is, is that that blood on those doorposts back in Exodus in that time marked those houses. Well, the reality is, is that we've been marked too. It's no different. We may not have a, you know, don't get some weird theology saying, I got to go put blood on the doorpost of my house. No, that, that blood's been shed on our heart. See, everything in the Old Testament was external. The difference between the Old and the New Testament is, is God moved internal. That's really the difference. In the Old Testament, people had no choice but to live in their sin. Why? Because God had never changed, didn't have the ability yet to change their heart. Couldn't change their desires. Well, we have a new heart. Not a physical one necessarily, but a spiritual one that changed our desires. So this is why we receive communion. This is why we, we do these things. And, and so we're not just, as I said at the beginning, we're not just in a relationship with God. Don't just sell yourself short. No, we have something much better, which is that we have a covenant with God. There's only really one way out of a covenant. It's death. That's the way that covenants are. If you broke a covenant and cultures in the world still live this way, if you made a commitment and you made a blood covenant, if you didn't uphold your end, you got killed. That's the way covenant works. 
And yet we have a covenant with God. And God will, what he will do exactly what he said. And so I want to receive communion this morning together. I believe it's important, but I believe that, that it is a reminder to us as well. It's not just something that we can look at and be and reminded that, uh, about what Jesus did, but I believe it's also a reminder to us about the covenant that we have with God. But it's also a reminder to the devil that we've been bought by the blood of Christ. That, hey, just like that blood on those doorposts mattered, hey, as we receive communion, what? It's a reminder. No, there, there was a price that was paid for me. There was a price that's been paid for my family. Now, when your kids get grown and out your house, that's on them. But as for me and my house, until my kids are of the age to stand on their own before God and of the knowledge to stand before I'm responsible for them. So I can pray for them. And I can stand on my faith and it will work for them. Now, I'm not saying if your kids are gone, your faith won't work. I believe it still will, but I, I believe it is different. You know, I saw something this week, though, and, and it was actually a missionary friend of mine who posted the, a picture on Facebook. And when I saw it, I kind of laughed at first because I thought it was a little funny. But then I thought, and I was like, man, there's some truth here. And so I want to share this picture with you. It says, don't forget your coronavirus kit. It's been around for a while. And I kind of chuckled and I thought, well, that's cute, you know. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, there's some real truth behind this, though. Like, there's some reality here. And so today, as we're receiving communion together, I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But, you know, there's a, a, a part of it from the message translation. And, and I just want to share it with you real quick. And it says that we should never let familiarity breed contempt is that we ought to always ought to approach communion the same way. Now, the Bible says, let each man judge his own heart. Let, you know, take a moment here, and then I'll give you a moment to just between you and the Lord. And then we're going to receive communion together. We're not going to take long, but, but we are going to take a moment here, because why? That same blood still, is still powerful. I mean, you know... When I was younger, I used to hear a lot more teaching about the blood of Jesus, songs about the blood of Jesus. And, you know, I can remember hearing about it. I remember one line that says it never loses its power. It's the blood of Christ. It still speaks. It still works. It still delivers. 